morning, taken from Ephesians chapter 4, um, the English Standard Version, because it's the only one that ever packed the words that Tim will be preaching. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, as your followers, we are called to be people shaped by your example, one that is so much at odds with the accepted lifestyles of today. We confess how easy it is to be drawn into these worldly lifestyles. And we need your constant help to make our behaviour consistent with yours. Forgive us when our words have been less than truthful. Fill us with your spirit so that we may speak the truth, your truth, at all times. Forgive us when we use anger to manipulate and to control. Direct us with your spirit that we might handle our anger responsibly. Forgive us when our actions have lacked total integrity. Mould us with your spirit so that all our dealings are carried out honestly and ethically. Forgive us when our words have been thoughtless and offhand. Instruct us with your spirit so that our words truly bring grace to those who hear. Renew us with your spirit so that our words and actions bring you pleasure. Amen. In our morning services, we're following a series of what it means for us to be disciples, embodying God's grace. People who follow Jesus and who live out God's grace in practice by who we are and how we live. How can you tell if someone is full of the grace of God? 
What is it about them that gives the game away? One thing you can do is look at what they say and how they say it. Jesus used the analogy of fruit going on a tree. He said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble branch, from a bramble bush. So the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say, how we say it, expresses who we are. The word used to describe the tree or the fruit as bad is the same word that we find in Ephesians 4.29 where it describes talk as being corrupting or worthless. Something is wrong. And we have to say, don't we, that one bad apple ruins the whole barrel and spoils the whole barrel. Any of you have seen this for yourselves. One bad apple makes all the other apples around it go bad. Because as the fruit decays, it gives off extra ethylene, which is the substance that makes fruit ripen. And that makes all the other apples ripen more rapidly as well. And it's the same if one apple goes mouldy. The mould spreads from bad apples to good apples. It's always looking for fresh food, something else it can, it can draw sustenance from. If you've got a bad apple, don't leave it there, you've got to sling it out, you've got to get rid of it. Since the time of Chaucer, people have used the term a bad apple to refer to people in the workplace who spend all their time sniping with each other, putting each other, putting other people down, speaking negatively about their colleagues behind their backs, complaining about everybody else why they themselves are often reluctant, uncooperative employees. You try and get them to do a job, you get passive-aggressive resistance to every attempt to make them do their work. It's in the unfinished cook's tale that a master eventually dismisses a troublesome apprentice when he realises the truth of the saying, well, bet is rotten apple out of the hoard than that it rotting all the remnants, so fair of it by a riotous servant. It's well less harm to let him pace than he shed all the servants in the place. In plain English, you've got a bad employee, get rid of them before they turn everybody else bad as well. How does that work? How do we have that kind of influence on each other? It's because we're social animals. We are constantly influencing others and being influenced by them. And the prime way in which we have contact with each other, we engage with each other, our means of interaction is by verbal communication. The words we use to talk to one another. We are profoundly influenced by what other people say to us and what they say about us. And our own words can have a profound and lasting effect on others, either for good or for ill. Thinking of the pictures of the children on, on the, the video that we saw on Praying for Children, Words that are spoken to children when they are small, stay with them. 
and affect who they are profoundly for the rest of their lives, for good or for ill. So there is a sense in which we are all interconnected by our language, which makes or breaks bonds of trust between us. Paul tapped into this idea earlier in Ephesians, where he talks about the need to be honest with each other, because we're all members of the same body. Our unity is forged by what we say and how we talk to each other. And if you're looking to follow Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be very concerned about the impact that your words have on those around you. Because you will be aware that what you say has the capacity to heal or to infect, to do good or to do harm. And as followers of Jesus, we are called at all times to build up those around us. Hazel was good at this. To encourage, to support, to strengthen, to help. We're not to be so wrapped up in our own agenda or our own self-importance that we disregard others when we speak. Don't speak thoughtlessly or carelessly. Remember the impact your words will have on those who hear or overhear what you're saying. Sometimes we're just clumsy. We don't mean to hurt other people. Our words are shallow. We only want to fill an uncomfortable silence with something. So we prattle all kinds of rubbish that we don't really mean. But still, don't do good to those who hear it. Sometimes we could be so taken up with what's happening to us and how we feel that we don't pick up on the fact that the person we're talking to isn't in a good place. They need to hear, they need to have someone listen to them with a sympathetic and understanding ear. Sometimes our own levels of stress and anxiety are such that we speak angrily or impatiently to people who've really done nothing to upset us. They just happen to be standing in our emotional firing line. But sometimes, in anger or in a deliberately calculated fashion, we set out to hurt and damage other people by what we say to their face or what we say about them behind their back. Jesus warned, we will be held to account for every careless word we utter. For it will be by our words that we will be acquitted and by our words that we will be condemned. It's out of the fullness of the mouth, out of the fullness of the heart that the mouth speaks. To avoid rotten language, being abusive to others, mouthing obscenities, being unpleasantly sarcastic, running other people down, ruining their reputations. All that kind of negativity drags other people down as well and it becomes as infectious as one bad apple turning the others around it, rotten, one by one. That's why I went for the English Standard Version, more than my reason, it's a better translation than the NIV here. The NIV talks about unwholesome talk, conveys the idea of negativity well enough, but the English Standard Version uses the term corrupting here, which does call to mind the way in which one bad apple infects the others around it. What we hear cannot but affect how we think. That in turn affects how we feel, how we look at other people, what we say, what we do. That's why rumours and gossip are so damaging. They spread as quickly and easily as the coronavirus. 
And that is why such behaviour has no place within a disciple of Jesus Christ or in the church, which is the body of Christ. So Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Instead, we are only to say what is good for building others up in accordance with their needs, a degree of sensitivity there. And as the occasion demands, so that our words might benefit or give grace to those who hear. And the most literal translation is that our words might give grace to those who hear us. That can carry the relatively weak sense of doing them good. If what I say give grace to you, then you feel better for having had that conversation. But one commentator, Marcus Bach, suggests that dialogue is a sacrament. A sacrament in the sense that speech can mediate God's grace. In some schools of thought, a sacrament conveys grace. When you get baptised, when you receive communion, those outward visible acts communicate the real spiritual reality of God's grace to receive them. And if, if you get baptised, communicates God's grace to you. If, if you receive communion and you receive God's grace as you take the bread and take the wine, those symbolic acts, being baptised and taking communion, challenge God's channel God's grace into our hearts. And words do the same. Words of truth and love, spoken in the name of Jesus, bring God's grace into someone else's life. Some linguists talk about a performative utterance. The words we speak make a difference. They have an impact. They produce a change. Things are different because we've spoken. So I think of Jesus speaking to the sinful woman who was in tears as she anointed his feet at the house of Simon the Pharisee. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And as he said those words, her sins were forgiven. It was a pronouncement of divine forgiveness. And she was a different person as a result of that. That's why those listening wanted to know who on earth he thought he was, making such pronouncements. It's the same with the paralysed man, whose four friends broke open the roof of the house where Jesus was to lower him down through the roof so they could get him to Jesus. When Jesus pronounced his sins forgiven, he did so with an authority that made those who heard him wonder who it was that had the authority to forgive sins in this way. Jesus' words brought grace God's grace into the lives of those who heard him. And our words have the capacity to do the same as God's spirit of grace speaks through us. So we choose our words with love and with care. And it's not just pronouncements of forgiveness that can convey God's grace to people who need it, though Jesus has said we are called to forgive each other in his name. But you may be called to speak words of comfort to someone in the depths of sorrow. A word of encouragement to someone who is struggling with doubt. Words of good counsel to those who stand at a crossroads in their life and don't know which way to go. 
Words can make a profound difference. That's not to suggest that we, we consciously exercise the authority of God on such occasions and we eyeball the person and say, this is what God is saying to you through me. You better listen carefully. That's not how it works at all. Sometimes we may genuinely be unaware that the words we have spoken simply out of a heartfelt love and concern are exactly what they needed to hear at that moment in time. And our words have been charged with God's grace in a way that we had no idea of. And sometimes words are the last thing that someone needs to hear. Or they really need someone just to listen to them as they pour out their hearts and all the rubbish, the stress and the anxiety and the guilt that is accumulated there drains away. Listening as well as speaking can be a means of grace. And get this, this is something that we all do for each other. It's not a special grace given exclusively to ministers or to deacons, or restricted to members of the pastoral team. This calling, this privilege, to impart grace to each other by what we say and how we say it and how we listen to each other, this is given to everyone who follows and lives for Jesus Christ. We embody God's grace and we express it by how we say. Your words have the power to build others up or to pull them down. So today, this week, ask God to fill your heart with his grace. That your speech might be filled with grace as well. So that whatever you say, it might bring God's grace to those who hear you and who need that word at that point in time in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, when words have been spoken to us that have not been words of grace, heal us of the pain that they've caused. Defend and protect our hearts from the damage that they've brought. And take out of us the, the pain and the anger and the hurts and fill us with your healing, with your grace, with your forgiveness. <coughs> and so fill our hearts with your spirit with your love, with your wisdom, with your discernment, that we might speak good words to people, that others might be the better for hearing from us. And if we blether on as Hazel used to do, help us only to say those things that are good. May this place, these people, 
this fellowship be a place where your word is spoken in love to bring healing and grace and forgiveness and life into each other's hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name.